listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 So, RJ, we've talked about the teams that are remaining in the NBA playoffs, and we were thinking and discussing how long it's been since one of the remaining teams has actually won an NBA championship. Okay, so I'm going to read down the eight teams with the title odds currently, and we're going to go reverse Casey Kasem, and I'm going to tell you the last time they won the title. So the favorite right now, the formerly New Jersey Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, they used to play at Brennan Burn Arena. Oh, wait, okay. <laughs> they are almost even money. I mean, the Nets have stepped up. Think about it. Um, James Harden is certainly a top eight player in the league. Mackenzie, you agree with that, right? Oh, absolutely. Where you got Harden ranked? I have him number seven by value to the point uh, spread. Yeah, there you go. So top seven, top eight player. He's out, and you know what? We don't know how long. What other NBA team in history could have a top eight player on the sidelines? An indeterminate absence coming up. It could be the whole playoffs. Could be. Almost certainly is this series he's going to be out and still be almost an even money favor. Could I mean, could the Bulls during their prime, the prime prime, had Scottie Pippen, who was a top eight player, could he have sat down and they still be almost even money favorites to win a title, Jonas? Uh, no. Yeah. No. I, I wouldn't think so. I mean, this Nets team is stacked in a way, and I think as we dig into it, we're going to see as the playoffs progress, we're going to see that this is about how the team got put together beyond the big three. Because the big three have played really well. And when they're on the court, all three, they've been great. But with two of them, they've been really good. But you look at it, if it's Griffin, if you, I mean, as you go up and down the various role players, they've hit home run. You look at the Lakers with Schroeder, Schrader, and it's like, ah, I don't know. And you think about their lost Rondo, you know, all the kind of whinging now about the postmortem on the Lakers. It, we're all kind of understanding that AD got hurt, LeBron got hurt. But even with the injuries, if they had the supporting cash strong, they'd probably get through at least Phoenix. Well, the Nets, I think, and I'm going to ask Jonas what he thinks, the Nets hit a home run so far on the supporting cast. What do you think, John? Yeah, no, I think all those guys have stepped up and and just to see how many different combinations of either Harden out or Harden and Kyrie Irving out or Kevin Durant out for uh, an extended period of time, I think the supporting cast deserves a lot of credit. I also think Steve Nash maybe hasn't gotten some of the credit he for deserves. Sure. For it sure. Because it has not been the easiest season or roster to have to coach thus far. We've been saying, and you look at Brad Stevens, these are two different Young, dynamic coaches. You know, Stevens now moving into the front office. And I think they're opposites in some ways. Specifically, I don't think Stevens was great. In fact, I think it's almost impossible to say great at managing the gigantic egos in 2021 in the NBA. He's a college coach. And it seems like he – I don't think he's indifferent to the player. I don't think there's any sense of, like, it's my way or the high – I just don't think the players look at him and think he he wasn't one of the best players in the history of basketball. There, there does seem to be with the Doc Rivers, uh, though he wasn't one of the best in history, he would you know, play with Dominique, is Doc um, got a ton of respect. Right? And plus he had, you know, this time around, he won a title with the Celtics as a coach. So um, the idea of who's this guy? 
it seems like is bigger today in basketball than it's ever been. Wouldn't you say? I mean, and and back in the day, it was the given. The coaches probably were going to have a different perspective. They weren't necessarily going to be all-time greats. Now, I think the great players are less open to – and look at LeBron choosing his coach effectively for the last 10, 12 years. It feels like a Nash, it's a lot easier for the players to say okay than with a Stevens. Well, yeah, and what's interesting about that is that I, Doc Rivers always was a guy who would play no matter what. Steve Nash was a guy who was going to gut through injuries no matter what. Like a lot of these guys were known for their toughness, yet they're the ones that seem to be more open-minded to the idea of load management and giving these players a break when they need to be. Now, you could say it's they that understand how if you got a back-to-back and back in the day you want a, a, a um a commercial flight, you're going into Utah playing at altitude on the second game. Now it's halftime. You know, I mean, yeah. as much as they might have been tough in the given circumstances, they understood the given circumstances back then were really bad, meaning it was hard. And then yeah. you imagine you're seven foot or six, ten, and you're in commercial. I mean, think about that a second. I don't even know. And, and you're on a four hour <laughs> flight with your knees up. In, I mean, I don't even think that's right. possible. <laughs> but, but I mean, what I'm saying is, I don't know what they would have done, but it certainly wasn't a private jet back then. So I hear, you know, you make a really interesting point. I'm R.J. Bell. We're straight out of Vegas. Jonas Knox in L.A. Where you say that, yeah, they did it, a Steve Nash. And thus the players look at him. And that, that was my point and say, yeah, that guy knows what he's talking about. And he was more of a coach's player back then. That's maybe why he's a coach. But yeah. still the players are okay with that because they know he knows of what he speaks. And that's always been the debate. You know, Howard Cosell, which was a little before my time, but, you know, as I was a kid, I can remember, like really young, is he called it the jockocracy. And that was that that uh, the only jocks could talk about the sport. And before Howard Cosell, that kind of was the case. Think about the Monday Night Football booth, and it was a lot of former players. And then Cosell shows up, and here's a guy with a journalism background, a guy that obviously never played professional sports, and he was the biggest announcer. And since then, we've had, oh, Rush Limbaugh go to the booth, or Dennis uh, Miller go to the booth, and sometimes it's been rejected, sometimes it hasn't, but we're kind of past the point in media that you have to be a professional athlete, thank God, to have an opinion <laughs> that we're past that, Jonas. Both of us, I think it helps. <laughs> but 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 I do think in coaching in the NBA, it feels like it's going the other way because the young coaches that are succeeding, it seems like there's a lot of players in the mix. And Jason Kidd, you know, having one stint already uh, as a head coach, maybe the next one. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Yeah, and and especially the on on the front with Steve Nash, it was Kyrie Irving. One of the reports I saw earlier this season that Kyrie Irving elected to he part of the reason that he sat out early in the year is that he was not happy with the hiring of Steve Nash, or that he wasn't that he wasn't talked to about the the move to bring in Steve Nash as the head coach and. 
And just to see the way that Nash has handled that, he's never really gone public with any of that. He's never made a spectacle of it, never made a stink. He's welcomed, you know, a, a major trade, uh, incorporated James Harden into the into the roster, into the system. I, I look at it similar to a Steve Kerr, to where people can say whatever they want about, well, he's got all this talent on the roster. But if they go on to win a title, I do think it's noteworthy that Steve Nash was able to manage those personalities, which I think maybe at this point with that roster, is more important than the X's and O's stuff. I agree, but I think it's more than that. I think I, I'm going to say your statement and more, and my more would be smart enough to know what he didn't know. Even though one of the smartest players on the court, Nash, in his day, two-time MVP, he said, I don't understand defense maybe at the level of uh, Coach X. And obviously offense, D'Antoni, the idea that almost like the Rams and the boy genius comes in and he says, okay, Wade Phillips, he's going to handle the defense. But then a couple years goes by and they're like, okay, we can handle the defense now. Good luck, Wade. So I love that. You come in, it's going to be overwhelming early and you say, okay, we're going to give this area over to someone we trust with a ton of experience and we'll handle this. Then as the couple years go by, I'm guessing Nash is going to take even more ownership of the X's and O's. But it's brilliant. to If you know your limits, it's absurd to try to go beyond those. Yeah. Um, and it feels like Nash was humble. And he put the players first. I mean, maybe he's, you know, and, and I do agree, Kerr in general fits that mold as a former player. I think the guy that shot the you know the uh, the jumpers from outside, as much as he's a former player, they're they're looking at him now saying, "Really? Like what was the league like back then?" Where Nash <laughs> is it's it's so recent that you know those players were you know how how old was Kevin Durant when Nash was winning an MVP? Right, he was in the league. Yeah. So so I think the recency is there where they know how good this guy was. And he's got everything else on top of it. So I agree. I think when the story's written on this year, especially if the Nets win it, Nash is not getting enough credit, and he deserves a ton of credit. So the favorite right now, the Nets, almost even money, the plus 115 to win the title, not to win the uh, the series. By the way, the Nets, they're still waiting for the first title in the history of the organization. <laughs> All right, next up, the Jazz. Now, I'll run this real quick. And then we'll see what's trending. Then we'll, you know, finish up the NBA talk and talk a little Aaron Rodgers too. So we got the Jazz, the second favorite, plus 375. So think about that. Second favorite. We're waiting on the first Jazz title. Okay, never. Clippers, third favorite, 5-1. to one. Never had a Clippers title. Phoenix, fourth favorite, 7-1. to one. Never had a Phoenix title. Next up, the 76ers, 14 to 1, and beat questions, obviously. The last title, 1983. Moses Malone, Dr. J, Andrew Tony, etc. Mo Cheeks. All right. Next up, Milwaukee Bucks, 14 to 1. So tie with the Sixers. Kareem. I think it was Kareem in 71, not Lou Alcindor. It was 1971. Two teams left. We've got at 25 to 1 the Atlanta Hawks. And it was, check this research out, Jonas. 1958, they won it as St. Louis. <laughs> I think Bob Costas called that game. <laughs> Speaking of Bob Costas, Bernie Fratto from Straight, I, I, we got a text from him on the break. He's listening today. 
He does the weekend edition, 11 o'clock Pacific, Saturday night. So 11 to midnight, Bernie Fratto. And Mackenzie sits in. Uh, he was telling a story yesterday. He stopped by the studio. And no lie, Jonas, he was talking about Bob Costas. And, and he called him Bob. He goes, yeah. He goes, um, Bob walked in, and I said hi to him. <laughs> and, and, you know, all, all I'm going to say is how, you know, <laughs> Bernie's cooler than I realize because if you're calling Bob Costas Bob, like they do that with Robert De Niro a lot. Like if someone's an actor, they'll go, Bob's a good friend, no doubt, you know. But it was kind of like that, and I, you know, I was name, uh, name dropping a little bit, huh? I, yeah, but it, but listen, if 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 Bob Costas walks in and he's part of the story, I think you got to say that, right? Yeah. But I don't. I, but calling him Bob, that is a that's a gutsy <laughs> move. That's a gutsy move. And then finally, <laughs> Denver. 35 to 1, and they've never won it. So, one, two, three, four, five of the eight teams left have never, the organizations have never won an NBA title. And the three that did was in 1958, the Bucks in 1971, and the winner of the most recent title of any of the eight teams, the 76ers, 1983. So, that was almost 40 years ago. I mean, talk about a new era, (laughs) Jonas. I mean, wowza. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Outta Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Hey, I'm Doug Gottlieb. The podcast is called All Ball. We usually talk all basketball all the time, but it's more about the stories about what made these people love their sport and all the interesting interactions along the way. We talk to coaches. We talk to players. We tell you stories. You download it, you listen to it, I think you'll like it. Listen to All Ball with Doug Gottlieb on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Less than an hour from now at Philadelphia where the 76ers are hosting the Hawks in Game 2 of that series. Atlanta with a one nothing series lead, but it's the Sixers, a six-point favorite on pregame.com. Okay, so this is fascinating. We talk about it all the time, the zig-zag in the NBA playoffs. What does it mean? It means when a team zigs, wins a game, it tends to zag, lose the game next. Does it do it all the time? No. But history tells us it happens a lot. Why does it happen? It's because the team that lost the prior game, they're extra motivated. Redemption. So some of it is effort level. Some of it is they are willing to change things up because they lost. It's not going to be more of the same. They're going to tweak things and change things. The winning team may be a little fat and happy, may be a little complacent. And you know what? They're going to be keeping their same game approach most of the time because it worked. Why change it? Historically, you see the zig and the zag in the results and the odds. Mackenzie, let's look at game one. And I guess the Embiid uncertainty entering game one would affect this more. But just to have a reference point, what was the line in game one, Sixers, same venue in Philadelphia versus game two? The Sixers were a four-point favorite. And now they're six. Okay. Now, I think some of that is more optimism about Embiid. Now, yesterday I said, you know something? I think this could be bad for the Sixers, Embiid seemingly being a little bit more healthy. That seems counterintuitive. My concern is if he, if they, and this is the catch-22, right? Would you rather him be less healthy? No, but I would rather him not play all these games. 
So the fact that he's healthy enough that he could play, it doesn't change the fact that it feels very ginger and, and, and brittle and that the only way the Sixers win a title is if they finish off now what? They have to have 12 more wins because they have none in this series. Does Embiid really win 12 games playing all of them? On this gimpy foot, I, I'm not sure, or on knee, I guess leg, and but in the short term, it's good for the Sixers that he's playing as well as he did in Game One. That he's supposed to play tonight. So yeah, oh, in uh, in theory, play well tonight. We don't know, but there's no reason to think not. And thus the odds have gone, or the betting line has increased for Philadelphia. But you might say if Game One is four, Philly by four. And they lose. Why would the odds go up? Why would they be more respected? It's cause of motivation. And I think we see that it's also the the, the potential gambler's fallacy where it's like, well, there's no way Philadelphia could go down 0-2. I don't know, Jonas. This Atlanta team has a lot of confidence, I think, that came from not only the Knicks, but now going in and taking away home court here. Yeah, I, I just think going in, winning those games at Madison Square Garden, hostile environment. Um, you know, they were when they went back to Atlanta. You could tell they were feeling themselves. That crowd was fired up to have their you know their teams back based on the treatment of Trey Young early on in that series against the Knicks. And then to see him go into a hostile environment, almost give away a big lead late, and still figure out a way to to come out with the win. Had they lost that game, had they blown that lead. It would not surprise me if the Sixers ran through them the rest of the series, but they ended up winning that game, and, and they've been really, really good on the road so far. So I'm not – no pick for me on this game. I see the reason Sixers are a bigger favorite, but it feels too obvious to me. If I had to play, it'd be a lean on the Hawks. Next game, the, the second game tonight is the Clippers at the Jazz. Game one of that series, 10 p.m. Eastern time on TNT, right now on pregame.com. It is Utah, the home team, a three-point favorite. Okay, so this is fascinating because what we got is a home team that's favored by more than the home court. That means, in theory, this team is better. The Jazz are better. Now, if you look at the series price, the series price has Utah as a smaller favorite than they should be because of their home court in the entire series. So what we got here is game one, the odds are telling us that Utah's better. For the series, the odds are telling us the Clippers are better. Why would Utah be better in game one? Because the Clippers have one day of rest after a monumental comeback, emotional, physical, and Utah's rested. The only thing that throws a monkey wrench into it is Mike Conley. Now, Mike Conley's not the most popular player for the Jazz. He's not the best player for the Jazz, but he moves the needle. Conley, before it was announced that he was out, the line was Utah minus four. Now it's minus three. And most of that, if not all of it, is Conley. That said, I'm not going to make this a full best bet. A pizza bet, a pizza bet as we call it, on Utah here. I think the fatigue's a big issue. Utah minus three is the bet. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. 